outside the box. Hello and welcome to May June's outside <laughs> of the box. It is currently May as we are recording it, but it will be June when you receive it. So that's how May months June's. work, isn't it? Joining me as ever is Mickey Noonan. Oh, hello there. <laughs> and Jen pulling a face offered. What a curveball, Mick. <laughs> it's been wow. a while. I've lulled you into a false sense of security, Jen. <laughs> I've been playing now. a long game, basically, with my intros to Outside the Box. Yes. <laughs> Let's start with the news. And there is actually like a massive bit of news that's going to take me ages to talk about, but it would be wrong to ignore it because it's probably the biggest bit of news that's happened to television since lockdown. The Writers Guild of America is on strike, went on strike on May the 2nd. There will be loads of explainers on the internet, if you're interested, about what it is they're actually striking about. But obviously, money and rights come quite high up that list. The last time they went on strike was 2007 to 2008. It went on for 14 weeks, and more on that in a bit. But... Worth saying that since then, the entire television industry has changed in 15 years. Like, streaming is massive. There's loads more content made. Mm. And things are syndicated way more commonly because, you know, there are loads more channels to put it on. In fact, there are loads of channels that are just desperate for stuff. Just by way of an example, if anyone's interested, The Americans is now on Disney+. Plus. It's done the rounds on an awful lot of streaming services. Do you know what I mean? Now it's on Disney+. Yeah. Plus. I have to have a... buy it. That's very rude. Yes. So, lots of things for them to strike about. And worth saying that I support everybody's right, as you two do as well. Yeah, everybody's definitely. right to strike, regardless mm-hmm. of what it's about, because they're in a better position to judge whether they think they should strike than I am. That said, this is going to have a pretty major impact on television The first thing I did was Google, have they finished filming? (laughs) Uh, Only Murders in the Building, they have finished two days before. They had finished filming that, so hooray. And of course, we know that Julia is in the bag and that Winning Time is in the bag, which is two things that we were looking forward to. Because this is what's what's worth saying, is that writing in television in America works very differently from us. Writing is a continuous process. I mean, it happens here as well, but almost all TV programmes in America are still written up to the point that they are being filmed. So nobody, even actors changing their lines, classifies as rewriting. So nobody is allowed to use any stuff that hasn't already been written prior to the date of May the 2nd. So the impact on this is huge. So the first thing to say is all of those late night shows are gone, are shut down because their writers are on strike. So, you know, John Oliver, etc., etc., etc. You won't see any of uh, Saturday Night Live. I mean, we're approaching the point that, that those all would have shut, shut down for the holiday, summer anyway. They, yeah. So um, the impact might not necessarily be so big. But it's worth saying, nobody knows how long this is going to go on for. And interestingly, I mentioned COVID. The cupboards are pretty much bare because everybody's pretty much shuffled and rifled through everything they've got. So it might be a golden age for British television that gets streamed over in America when they really start running out of stuff. You don't know. There might be some unexpected upsides. But it's not just you're going to have to wait a long time for things. For example, Yellow Jacket, Series 2 ended this week. Who knows when they're going to even start sitting down in an office talking about what's happening in the next season. There might be a very long wait between those two. But it's also worth saying that 
the impact of the 14-week strike in 2007-2008 was not just that people had to wait a long time for stuff. Stuff got cancelled. Series got truncated and then there was such a long gap before the writers could go back that those series were abandoned. Plot lines are, are just abandoned. The second season of Friday Night Lights is an absolute shit show because all kinds of plots just hung there and nobody knew what had happened to them and they had to try and write that in. First series of Breaking Bad, Hank was supposed to die. That bit didn't get written and in the interim they decided to hold on to Hank, which was a good choice. An excellent choice, yeah. yeah. But, and there was that but, gas leak in Community. Yes, <laughs> but if you are waiting for something and it's something that's not very watched, you know, not incredibly popular or had a really good first season, Ted Lasso, which we might get to later, for example, which has had what appears to be a really not well responded to third season, were that waiting for a fourth, that might be in the position of shit in itself that it might get cancelled. Anything to add to that before I go on to more news? I had a dream about series two of Winning Time and all I can say is that it's probably a good job that I'm not in the writer's room. (laughs) (laughs) It took some weird turns. A couple of bits of news that I literally just saw now on Twitter, both of them, so I I can't give you much information. The first is that I'm not quite sure why it's taken so long, but the Australians have decided to remake The Office. Oh. And the character of David Brent will be played by a woman we know. Felicity Ward. Felicity Ward. That would be yeah. oh, I was going to guess, but uh, you pipped me to the Felicity Ward post. Oh, yeah, I can see that. I can totally see that. It's odd that they've waited so long, but here we are. Also, and equally as odd that they've waited so long, if indeed they even need it, which at least I can say I'm looking forward to Felicity doing that, is that there's a, now a TV series of The Full Monty. I saw this a while ago. I saw that they were making a TV series, and I was yeah. like... Um, do we find out what they did for the rest of the hour of that show after the first five minutes when they took the pants off? I don't know. That's all I'm interested in. What happened next? But not what happened next 25 years later. Well, that's what I kept thinking about, you kept saying. What next? What next? We will find out. As far as I can see from the little clip that I saw, this is going to be on Disney+. Plus. Mark Addy is in this. Leslie Sharp is in this. And... I've left him till last because I was hoping that I would remember his name and it's gone. Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle. Robert Carlyle is in this. I'd be surprised if Tom Wilkinson is, but we'll just leave that there. Steve Hewison's in it as well, I think. Maybe one of us can be brave enough to watch it and we can talk about it next time. Yeah. Bagsy, not me. <laughs> and the last thing that I wanted to say in news, which is sadder news, and that was that I saw that the actor Ray Stevenson had died and he was in HBO's Festival of Big History and Full Frontal Nudity, Rome which I don't think either of you have seen. It is exactly the sort of programme that would never get made now. Absolutely not, even though people are throwing huge amounts of money because it was really expensive. It got cancelled, basically, because the set kept burning down. <laughs> it feels quite realistic. That yeah, just to rebuild sad. it. I just can't imagine it would be made now because it's made in with the kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of non-critical eye of the way Rome was, which was really sexist and sexy and you know fully cock out manhood like (laughs) toxic masculinity that I just nobody would buy it now even though technically that is kind of correct of the way that Rome was it would be seen as glorifying it or whatever Rome cock out capital of the world (laughs) (laughs) worth saying Ray Stevenson who played Titus Polo in it was amazing and yeah died quite young this week or last week so I just wanted to mention that 
Isn't what you've just described Game of Thrones? Well, basically, yes, but the, the sort of Game of Thrones bits that got endlessly talked about on Twitter, all the bits that Game of Th- got Game of Thrones in trouble is exactly what happened in Rome. Like all Game the time. of Rome's. Come on, now. Yeah. we're all thinking it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, shall we start with? I've only got one word written on the next bit of paper, and I haven't written anything underneath it at all. It just says succession. It came, it saw, it kicked ass. Yeah. Succession. Jen, how did you feel about the last few episodes? I mean, they were brilliant. They were absolutely brilliant. I thought the finale was fantastic. It gave us everything. It gave, like, it, it gave us everything. It gave us, like, the lols. I've said it to you already. I'm going to say it again. I bought it over in a hanky. <laughs> um, <laughs> my favourite line of the whole thing. I love seeing the kids together. I love seeing a united front between them. I could not have predicted what would follow. I've had a lot of debates over the last couple of days about wh- whose team we were on. We all know I'm Team Kendall because I love a wounded, a wounded animal. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said again and again and again, like even just on this podcast, let alone by every mm. other fucker in the world. <laughs> but like, I just think the fact that they are such hideous people and you don't root for them. I don't think you root for them, but you are so invested in them. I just think like, you know, the the beauty of the writing is just, it's incredible. Mm. I, ca- I could not speak more highly of it. Yeah, agreed. I am team... Roman, because as you know, I love a weird little kinky one. Not in real life, <laughs> but on television. Sure, yeah. Hannah, sure. Yeah. You say that All so right, the listeners then. know. I that. always was. I was always Team Buster Bluth as well. Yeah, never Team Michael. <laughs> but anyway, I agree with everything you say. I haven't really talked to anyone about it or read anything about it apart from what I said briefly to you two yesterday, which was who am I to say how succession ends? I mean, you know, I couldn't write it. So I thought it ended rather well i was kind of expecting it all to go to shit because that's what it does i don't think it's quite the sad ending i mean i actually think that roman is best off out of it i think he got what he needed which was to be away from that stuff and i kind of think shiv got what she deserved (laughs) which was a loveless marriage and kendall yeah i i I don't want to know what happens to him in the future he exists like tony soprano in this state of like schrodinger's yeah. Well, that's not that's not true. We all know that Tony died. It was the feel bad ending that everyone deserved. Yeah. No one won except maybe Logan from Beyond the Grave because at the yeah. top of this series, he was cozying up to Tom, or Tom was cozying up to him, and he was letting him, and he wanted to sell the business, and in the end, the business got sold, and Tom's puppet CEO. Mm. But you can't like you know, Madsen. Madsen is a snake and a loose cannon. Mm. So is Tom even going to get what he wants? You can't trust him. Oh, no, it. Tom will just do what's necessary. Tom is hmm. the man who will fail upwards for the whole rest of his He's life. He's a cockroach. I mean, he was the only one who could possibly win because he was the one who tailored his personality to other people rather than expected other people to tailor themselves around his personality. So he's a survivor. Yeah, He's a pain absolutely. sponge. He's been just brilliant. Some He's of been... the lines, like Matthew McFadden has been brilliant. Mm. Sorry, uh, I, I interrupted and you were right to say that because <laughs> he has been amazing. Yeah. But just some of the lines and just some of the phrases. I did think of you two and how um, you were, and I, I say this with the caveat that you are nothing else like her at all, but a bit a bit <laughs> Lady <laughs> Caroline <laughs> because she doesn't like eyes. And she referred no, to them she as face She's right. 
She's <laughs> absolutely right. And when I saw that, and I thought, I thought what does it say did. about me? <laughs> I did think of Hannah as I watched it. Indeed, what does it say about me? And, and myself. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I, at the time, was licking some cheese. So it was all fine. I love Lady Caroline. I fucking that love That stuff is so, is so great as well. I mean, I grew up in a house where there was certain food we weren't allowed to touch in the fridge because it belonged to my dad. <laughs> and, and yeah, I've been in that situation where I've been with my siblings going, if we just cut a tiny bit off, do you think you won't notice it? We never went full licked it, I have to say. But I think having some... No, not Peter's cheese. <laughs> Peter's special, special cheese. cheese. Yeah. Just eat the nobbies. I think that more of Lady Caroline after Logan had died was really good. One, because she's just an incredibly awful character. Yeah. But two, because that is exactly where our sympathy for these horrible people come from. Is yeah. that what fucking chance did they have, despite all of the wealth... They were so emotionally poor because their parents were her and him. Like, they were fucked from the outset. Well, I just had a point to make about Lady Caroline, which was made to me last week, which I thought was actually, like, a decent point. Because I was sort of saying, like, you know, how terrible she is and whatever. And the point that was made to me was that actually, like, basically, her kids were sort of bought off her. But actually, the sort of... In the kind of standing that she was in, like, that actually was quite commonly, like, that is sort of what would have happened in those kind of worlds. Like, the men would often walk away with the kids if they were the more powerful in that relationship. And actually, would she have had much choice in that? Did she just go, "Mm, all right, or was it just like you, you, she sort of had to go along with that? And she does actually do one thing that's bitchy, though it seems, is actually an act of genuine kindness that I found quite touching, was that she put Kerry in the front row Mm. of the funeral. And that scene between Kerry and Marsha was really unexpectedly touching, like in the middle of Mm. all of this just horror honest to god i thought i was gonna throw up when james cromwell stood up i really thought it's so stressful succession has a way of twisting my guts in a way that other Mm. television doesn't really it's given me belly aches episodes (laughs) given me cold legs just really cold legs my knees have gone my knees have gone (laughs) yeah Uh, and i think that's what makes it loads of the writing is actually baffling all the tech bro speak and the business speak i'm watching it going well i'm interested to know what happened when i read about this tomorrow but also (laughs) all those moments of the brilliant lines and the acute observations are what make it such special television yeah yeah i liked it i thought it was good i think you can really tell like the sort of crossover with the thick of it as well can't you like a lot of the kind of logan royisms malcolm tuckerisms like there are going to be lines that you sort of take away from that that you continue to use again and again and again Mm. i think i intend to tell people that they taste like barnacle meat (laughs) (laughs) i i'm a big fan of cunt struck at the moment so uh cunt is as cunt does jen (laughs) (laughs) and just a well-deployed what was really interesting because you brought logan up again and obviously we saw him in flashback in that video and it became very clear over the last few episodes that while the kids while roman shiv and kendall were all fighting to be top dog waystar it was connor who he was closest to yeah connor knew about the ozymandias cat memorial she called it which was beautiful (laughs) ozymandias and he also had had that dinner with him and he's really relaxed and he's taking the piss out of his dad a bit and it just feels like 
when they're all watching it and they start to cry, which is another moment of unity for the three of them, with Connor, as always, off to the side a little bit. I think, obviously, it's seeing their dad, who they're grieving for, because we've got to remember he died less than two weeks ago. Mm. But also, they never had that. They never had that easy dinner time with him that Connor's having, that Kerry's having, that the old guards, the Keystone Fucks are having with him. Yeah. What was interesting as well, and obviously the very nature of succession meant that we know this whole thing, this whole four series are about the death of the main character. We know that. But what's really interesting is that this survived and thrived without its main character for seven episodes. And I can't think of many TV series that could do that. If you had removed Walter White this early from the end of Breaking Bad, or if Tony had gone, not gone, whatever, in the first episode of the new series of The Sopranos, would they have sustained... It just shows the sort of breadth of... of, of, or the depth, or whatever you want to say, of the bench in succession, that Logan's absence wasn't missed. And that's nothing to do with Brian Cox, because he's wonderful, obviously. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying, but I also don't think he was ever the main character. In in the same way that Tony Soprano or Walter White were the main characters. But he is the main character in all of their lives, so he has to be the main character in succession. He's like the subject, isn't yeah. he? In all of his kids' that lives, he's the main character. But I think, again, this sort of points to how fantastically written it is that even though he's not in it he looms so large yeah, yeah. do you know what i mean like he's such a massive presence despite not actually physically being and he in was it. still physically in it quite a bit there were a few flashbacks yes, and, yeah. and stuff but yeah i, I mean oh my god that terrible video talent. where he was talking to kendall on stage oh my god the cringe the absolute <laughs> cringe it's a little bit of Jurassic Park where Dickie yeah. Attenborough talks to himself. That's what it made yeah. me think of. God, we've not even gone into how many sort of references to classical stuff, to other TV shows, to all sorts of things that is crammed in. It does feel like there's, there's a lot of good drama. I think we're rich with excellent TV. We're a generation that's rich with really excellent television. And The Sopranos did start that heritage but you get to some of them and you get to the end of them and you think, that was great. I'm glad I've seen it. At the end of Succession, I thought, oh, I'm going to watch that again at some point. For mm. sure. Yeah. The second series is incredible. Genuinely one of the best series of television, like, ever. I love it. And it has the funniest bit of Succession. When Tom describes syphilis as the MySpace of sexually transmitted disease. <laughs> <laughs> Tom has had some cracking lines. They all have. And can we just do one last yeah. one last moment? And that is for Cousin Greg slapping back. Well done, Cousin oh, Greg. wow. Well done. What a moment. <laughs> and then getting stickered. Oh. Oh, the sticker. That is such a hideous burn. Cousin Greg. Oh, also, God. Also, the, the number of times the word perambulatory was used was incredible. <laughs> right, we have to move on because... We've all got lives to get to. <laughs> okay, and there's others. Not anymore, I don't. It's all, it's <laughs> it's all, all well, done, Jen. Monday night or Monday afternoon or whenever you watch this wasn't just the end of four series of one thing that I was watching. It was also the end of four series of something else that I've been watching. Barry, will the fact that everyone were talking about Succession and not talking about its finale, will it make it better for it? Possibly, I don't know. 
I have only been watching Barry this year. Uh, my brother suggested I watched it and one of my friend's kids suggested I watched it. And if either of them had told me that Stephen Root was in it, I'd have watched it a fuck of a lot sooner, I have to say. <laughs> it is a four-series comedy written by and starring Bill Hader as a hitman, Barry, who, when he goes to Los Angeles, decides to take an acting class and life sort of starts to, starts to spin out of control from there. It has won lots of Emmys in the past. Hader's had one. Henry Winkler, who plays his acting teacher, has also won one. Great performance by Anthony Carrigan as uh, the leader of the Chechen mob. Stephen Root plays his handler. Um, if Stephen Root doesn't win an Emmy for this, I just there is no justice in the world. The first three series were great. The last series I wasn't quite so keen on. It's had two massive time jumps in it. Mm. The first time jump I did not like at all, but it was almost worth it for the second time jump that happens as it ends, basically, and was brilliant. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. I think you'll like it if you like Breaking Bad. Obviously, Barry is an anti-hero. It's interesting to see how quickly people are no longer on their side. If you, I, the first episode I watched, I thought, wonder how many episodes before I actively hate him, mm. like I did with Walter White. I won't say much else because not many other people have been watching it. On a Breaking Bad note, Hannah, and I know how off-putting the words spin-off and indeed prequel are to people <laughs> i know i know they make people they, they make your knees go cold as well but i have just finished better call saul another finale and i'm very late to the table with this one it finished last august six seasons and it's it is not done any justice by those two words because it is a cracking series of its own accord there are some references to Breaking Bad, but they don't really matter. And the way it deals with its main character is very different. We start off, and if you have seen Breaking Bad, you know Saul Goodman is not a good man, right? Mm. That's not a surprise. But we don't start with him as Saul Goodman. We start with him as Jimmy McGill and we work out why he became Saul Goodman and what happens then. And there's no, there's not really any drugs in it as such. There's a bit of cartel. That's quite interesting. But it's not the main story. The main story is this this man losing his morality, or is he? And it is just it's just wonderful. And it takes its time with stuff as well. It doesn't rush things in the way that certainly towards the end I thought Breaking Bad was all bang, 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 gun shooting, mm. shootouts and stuff, and it kind of lost me a little bit. But the finale of Better Call Saul is a really beautiful study in humanity and... If anything, I'd say that Better Call Saul, though it obviously is written by Vince Gilligan and takes some of its cues from Breaking Bad, is much more like The Americans in the way it deals with things. It is an incredible series. I'm really, really pleased I watched it. It's also got a much better sense of humour than Breaking Bad. It's very, very funny. And yeah, Bob Odenkirk as Jimmy McGill slash Saul Goodman is incredible. Rhea Seahorn as Kim Wexler is just phenomenal. Yeah, it's brilliant. Big recommend. Well, you just mentioned the Americans, which I can use to segue nicely into something else. And then after that, we might take a break and uh, let Jen talk about something that people might have actually watched. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Perry Mason, Series 2. At the end of Series 1, I predicted that Series 2 would be an absolute banger because it was a lot of what didn't work for me. I think they would have worked out, didn't work, and take it out. Mm-hmm. They brought in a new showrunner, Michael Belger, who was the guy behind the Nick, which means that he is good at historical stuff. The Nick was set in New York in, like, 
1900. So it's set in 1930s Los Angeles, based on, but is it, I don't know, and prequel to, but is it, I don't know, (laughs) pretty loosely I would say in all of those terms, Perry Mason, which was an American television series about a lawman who defended people who didn't have anybody else to defend them. That is about the only bit that I would say is similar. In this, Matthew Reese, the marvellous Matthew Reese, Wales's finest, mm-hmm. plays Perry Mason. He bears almost no resemblance to the other Perry Mason, not that I watched it, but from what I've read, other than, yeah, his job is to defend the people that nobody else will defend. So people who are generally wrongly accused of stuff. He's aided by Della Street, who's played by Juliet Rylance, as in daughter of Mark Rylance. And she is in the closet. And he's assisted by his black private detective, Paul Drake, who is played by Chris Chalk. So there is loads in there. There's inequality to talk about. There's sexism. There's racism. There's homophobia. So it's got like a pretty rich... And it uses, this series uses those three characters as almost like equals in it, which is really good as well, because you get sort of, you get to delve into those issues much better. It's about, yeah, it's about injustice. It looks absolutely fucking gorgeous, because of course it does. It's HBO, and it's absolutely riddled with HBO actors. You know, Shea Wiggum, Stephen Root, people who turn up in everything, turn up in this. would, Would you watch absolutely anything that Stephen Root was in? Yeah. I also think that if I if I had to pick someone and then all other stuff was just wiped off the face of the earth, I would save the stuff that Stephen Root was in because he's been in so much great stuff. Yeah. There'd be, you know, Succession would be saved. He was in Succession. Indeed. So, Justified, yeah. that's safe. There's loads of things yeah. that would be safe. True Blood, Mickey would be safe. Oh, thank you. Anyway, <laughs> wandering off the point to talk about how much I, I love Stephen Root. But anyway, yeah, Perry Mason, I really, really like it. Not enough people watch it. It's just, it's, I don't know, classy. Are you scared about it for the during the writer's strike then? I suppose, yeah. But HBO don't tend to cancel stuff. Although, I don't know, what's going on with Gentleman Jack? Who knows? Shall we take a break and come back and talk about some other stuff? Okay. Okay, welcome back. Mick, should we start with Inside Number 9? Which I've not really written notes on, but I was guessing you'd have watched. I have watched. Well. I've watched all of it, yes. Okay, my, my thoughts I can get quite quickly in that I was, I don't know, it was kind of average this season. I thought I thought Anita Dobson was brilliant. I thought Claire Rushbrook <laughs> was brilliant. Yeah. I found all of them reasonably predictable. And the one that really should have been the absolute sort of magic one, I watched on the iPlayer two days after and therefore the episode three by three. Still uh, my favourite though, out of this series. Which was the stunt one though. It yeah. didn't it didn't have the same effect as it did have on a lot of people. My brother said that he he literally he said I was watching it and an advert an, an actual trailer for this thing that was like on the buses came on for them and then they said, Oh, it's been cancelled and he was a good five minutes into it when he was like, Oh hang on, three by three. Three by three is yeah. 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 But it was really interesting to watch on Twitter. They, they basically, Jen, for those who don't know, and it's not a spoiler now because to, own, to watch it now, you would have to watch it on the iPlay, which spoils it for you, is that they said that it had been cancelled and put out a quiz show starring Lee, Lee Mack, Mack, who was brilliant. He's whoever so wrote good that banter, Whoever wrote that banter was fucking incredible That's because so it's good. so spot on. And it was a good it's... quiz show. I thought it was a really yeah. good format. <laughs> but anyway, Mickey, your thoughts? 
that was absolutely my favourite of this series, which, and it feels so mean to be like, oh, it's not as good as the others, because they're still, mm. like, brilliant. And like I said, I had that dream about winning time, and it's best that I'm not doing this for myself. <laughs> they're so good. They're still some of the best things on television. They're still so inventive. And maybe it's, you know, they're kind of stuck because of their own success, like, stung by their own success. But, yeah, it just didn't have... The magic for me of some of the old seasons. I thought the performances were great. I loved Claire Rushbrook, but I got that one immediately, as I'm sure loads of people yeah. did. I loved Phil Daniels and Anita Dobson, but again, like the story, I was like, well, I'm not as engaged in that. I did not like very much the one about Friday the 13th with Amanda Abington in it because it was very farce. It was bordering on yeah. farce, and I just found I it a quite bit, predictable. Mm, but I loved the three by three one and I thought yeah. the finale was very good as well it was better it was dark again and I enjoyed that but I just feel really mean for ever criticizing them because I would you know I'm still like when is series nine obviously it's got to have a series nine and uh it did make me just want to go and watch them all all over again yeah I like the ones that are just two-handers, but I also like the quite big ones the one where there's mm. quite a lot of cast going on I, I felt like there wasn't one of that or if no, there was it was the it was the it was the the number 13 one. So, like, I really like that one that they do in, like, Commedia dell'arte. I really like that one, which is weird because the first time I watched it, You hated it, I it the first time, yeah. didn't you? But yeah. I really like that there's a and whole lot the going on in it. Shakespeare one where it's all in... Uh, yeah. Yeah, iambic pantomime. Yeah, agreed. Uh, but I guess the biggest one was 3 by 3 That was the biggest cast. Mm. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, the best. But, you know, I'll watch anything those two do. I think they're absolute genius. And the performances from those two, actually from Steve Pemberton and from Rhys Shearsmith, are always brilliant. I did quite like in the last one, without, again, giving the game away, they're, they're a gay couple, Joe and Chaz, and it is sort of a hark back to the very first episode, Sardines, in which they play a gay couple as well, mm. who obviously get burned to death in a wardrobe. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. I mean, come on now. If you've not watched season one of Inside Number Nine. What the fuck are you playing at? Yeah. Jem, what have you been watching? Oh my God, I've actually watched loads. Um, So I'm going to start with something funny on BBC Three, which I'd actually, I'd sent you this email so long ago that I'd actually, I've watched so much that I forgot (laughs) that I watched this and this is like the main thing that I wanted to talk about. So I'm going to wing it a bit now. And uh, unfortunately, I'm going to absolutely butcher um, some Nigerian names now um, as I attempt to pronounce them. So I watched on BBC Three, Black Ops. It's a six-part comedy, described as a comedy thriller, but it's it's just a comedy. It's brilliant. So it is following um, two... I don't know if you ever watched... There was a sketch show also on BBC Three called Famalam, which was on a while ago. And like I, I think there were three series of it. And I didn't mind it. There were bits of it that I found were quite funny and there were bits of it that I didn't really get. It's like it was a, an entirely or like almost completely black cast and it's not aimed at me. So it's fine that there are bits of it that I didn't enjoy but there were, or, or didn't get, I think, would be like more reasonable also, things to say. Also, sketch shows. It's the nature of sketch shows. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. Some of, some of the sketches were like stronger than others. But... Um, but yeah, so the writer of that, Akemji Nidfornian, 
Again, apologies for this. And uh, Gemisola Icamello, who was in that with him as well, uh, have written this Black Ops. It follows two community support officers, which is like, that's all I needed to know. And I was like, I'm in, who work in East London, who get caught up in basically, there's going to be an undercover operation, which is run by um, Detective Inspector Clinton Blair, played by Arion Bakari who says the people that they've basically selected to go undercover, he's like, this is not going to work. These people are white. We need some black police officers to go undercover. And they're like, well, we don't have any. So he's like, okay, let's take these two completely hapless community support officers and like install them in this, um, in this, you know, group. Yeah. In this group of drug dealers. But then there are a lot of twists and turns and it looks like it's going to go quite badly for them. I don't really want to say more than that because I don't want to spoil it. I just thought it was fucking hilarious. Like, genuinely, I, like, me and my mum watched it together and we, like, absolutely ruffled laughing at it. There were some just fucking fantastic lines, like one of the other community support officers who says uh, rock climbing's a lot like making love it's great with one person but it is better with two <laughs> <laughs> no it's even better with two <laughs> and I just like I just thought it was brilliant it's got a great cast there's a load of familiar faces in there like Felicity Montague uh, Joanna Scanlon Zoe Wanamaker Catherine Kelly it's just like I I just absolutely loved it I fully fully recommend oh, it oh I'm so interested to hear that Jen because I've seen trailers for it I can't remember what watching but they did a trailer and Gary and I both went no thank you the trailer was terrible is it like so, the opposite of Stathlet's Flats yeah like where the the trail every time the trailer for Stathlet's Flats comes on I'm like should we try again because it makes me laugh yeah and then I try yeah. and I'm like no no thank you I don't think I saw a trailer for it I was a bit like because I had very mixed feelings about Famalam I was a bit like nah. so I looked up a review and it got a really really good review by the guardian and i thought well okay i'm this is worth a shot then and i, I was not disappointed okay that's a fun it. one i'm gonna add that to my fun list well i'd be very interested to know what you right. think about it okay i'm gonna nip in with one thing and i think it's the last thing i've got jen so after that it's floor is mine yeah. so to speak poker face originally made by peacock 10 parts crime drama comedy drama crime yeah all of that you will find it on sky Starring Natasha Leone as uh, a woman who is on the run and travelling America on the run. She has the uncanny ability to spot a lie and is now solving a series of crimes that she encounters. It's created by Rian Johnson, who is most famous. Well, I would say to me most famous for creating the Knives Out franchise. If Knives Out is kind of his version of Agatha Christie, then Poker Face is definitely his version of Columbo. You know who's done it and you have to watch her work it out, which I have to say is my least favourite form of crime drama. However, this is absolutely loaded with like every episode has like a a reasonably big name star. Adrian Brody, Hong Chow, Ron Ron Perlman, Chloe Savigny, loads and loads of people in it. And it's really funny in parts and she's a really likeable presence. So it's good, but I don't think it's good enough to make me watch a second series. You had me. I was was with you until that last comment. Jen. Have at it. I've watched two other... No, I've watched three other things. 
but Ted Lasso doesn't finish until tonight. Right. And I don't I don't really have much more to add to what I said on last month's Outside the Box, which is that I just have not enjoyed this series as much as I enjoyed the first two. Jen, that seems quite common um, from what I have seen. Yeah. I think uh, someone who we all follow, I think, on Twitter, Rainey, uh, said that she thought the magic was lost when uh, the character Nate sort of left the team at the end of the second series. She thought that he was like the soul of it. Someone else, a friend of the podcast, Kobe, said that he thought that it actually isn't supposed to be as funny, this series. It's not as funny. Also, a friend of the podcast, Kat Rosenfeld, talking about it the other day. Or she was pointing to an article that said, it feels like they've tried to force in a load of issue stuff right at the end. And there's too much issue and not enough of what else was going on that made it Too much issue, not enough lasso. Yeah. They've talked about like stuff that I think probably is really good for young men if they're watching, or just men if they're watching... To think about, like, you know, what to do with uh, nudes you might have of your ex-girlfriend when she stops being your girlfriend. Delete them, lads, is is what you're supposed to do. It's done in such a ham-fisted, laboured way, which I didn't feel the issues... I didn't feel like the issues were were dealt with in those ways in previous series. I thought they did them in quite a nice, accessible Mm. and gentle way. And it's just a bit like, oh, I mean... This feels like an episode of Grange Hill. What, like, what are we doing? So yeah, I haven't enjoyed it as much, but I will obviously watch the last one. And I will say that I did enjoy the penultimate episode a lot more than other episodes in this series. What else? I watched Malpractice on ITV, which is a five-part drama starring Neve Algar as troubled doctor Lucinda Edwards. He's got herself in a right old pickle after becoming addicted to diazepam <laughs> in the wake of the ah, horrors. drug addiction. That famous old yeah. pickle. <laughs> it's, it's even more complicated than, than a normal drug addiction, which I, I gather can be quite complicated just on its so. own. But uh, yeah. So she's become addicted to diazepam in the wake of the horrors of COVID-19 and she has wound up in the hock to some sorry, in hoc to some thoroughly unpleasant people. So it's all a bit complicated. In order to hide the fact that this guy is illegally prescribing opioids to drug addicts, Lucinda's dealer asks her in return for her opioids, I think that's what diazepam is, that she chalk off overdoses that come into the A&E department where she's working as intentional rather than accidental, lest someone start to be like, hmm... (laughs) There's a lot of overdoses going on. Where are those drugs Catherine coming Carwood from? In case Catherine Carwood walks in and wonders where all mm. the drugs are coming from. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So she winds up being investigated after one of said overdoses ends in a preventable or, you know, otherwise preventable death. But it turns out it is much, much more complicated and a lot of head scratching ensues. Is this on ITV? <laughs> <laughs> My mum hated this, like really, really hated it in a way that I couldn't actually understand because she was like, it's so miserable. I was like, mum, everything we watch is miserable. What are you talking about? (laughs) With the exception of Black Ops. Anyway, I found it like pretty compelling. I like Neve Algar as an actor. And I guess you'd say like in terms of the premise, it's sort of somewhere between line of duty and maternal. (laughs) I thought he did a good job of, I know, I mean, that's, 
like nuts in itself, isn't Can it? Can Kieran Hodgson please make a, make a mashup of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. That would be amazing. I thought I did a good job of highlighting the pressures faced by NHS doctors, but if I had to choose one, I would choose another series of maternal any day of the mm. week. I thought you meant if you had to choose one NHS doctor. <laughs> yeah, and also I watched... I don't have loads to say about this, so I don't know if you'd rather I left it alone, but I watched The Steel Town Murders, which is based on a real-life case of murderer Joseph Kappen, who raped and killed three girls in Port Talbot in 1973, Sandra Newton, Geraldine Hughes and Pauline Floyd. Oh, my God, did you watch this with your mum as well? Yeah, I did, yeah. Can you something sunny and nice to watch? She wanted to watch this. I fell asleep through quite a bit of it, if I'm honest. This is your Um, house, isn't it? It's either Relentless Misery or CBeebies, which is just another (laughs) way of relentless misery. Or MasterChef, yeah. mate. MasterChef. Do you know how many episodes there are of MasterChef in one series? It is like endless. Someone's got a honestly Greg with a double G in his uh, buttery biscuit bases, and the Australian ones as well, because there's it's the Australian ones that she really likes. Do you have like competitions for not leaving? You have competitions for leaving. Like it's just it's insane, <laughs> absolutely insane. I'm like I I. I I don't know. She watched like 23 episodes and didn't watch the final of one series because she didn't like the people who made it to the final. I was like, that is so yeah, petty. I can't I believe it. Fair enough. Well done, Kat. Yeah. <laughs> 23 episodes you invest in. You're like, nah, fuck this. I don't like, like you. You don't want them. any of the cunts to win. Why would you watch one yeah. win? I don't think she's unusual because that's the equivalent of people watching the uh, World Cup because England are in it and then not bothering to watch the final, which I think is quite common. Yeah, is it? I think so. Yeah. Well... I, I thought it was unimaginably petty, but like, whatever. I believe that this is the first documented case of a serial killer in Wales, and it was solved eventually in 2003 after some advances in DNA testing. And I think it was also the first time a killer was identified by linking the DNA to a relative rather than like okay. the exact person. So it was like a sort of vaguely important case, and it stars. Philip Glenister and Stephen Rodri as Paul Bethel and Phil Rees, the real-life coppers who return from the 1973 case to eventually I thought it. you were going to say return from 1973. <laughs> I was like, isn't this ashes to ashes? It's got time <laughs> travel in it. It's a... That was Philip Glenister, wasn't it? Possibly. Ashes I've never seen ashes. it. Neither have I. So, uh, yeah, so they eventually crack the case and it has... I don't know how you pronounce this Welsh name. I said it like this the other day and my mum corrected me. Anyurin. Anyurin. Anyurin Barnard. Like Anyurin Bevan. As Joseph Kappen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Bevan, yeah. So, yeah, basically, there's like some good... There's Keith Allen's in it. He's got a really good Welsh accent. That was like my main takeaway point. Isn't Keith Allen's accent really yeah. good? Wasn't expecting that. I'm not sure that. how that speaks to the rest of the series, though, Jen, <laughs> if that's your main takeaway. <laughs> Yeah, I fell asleep quite a lot, so <laughs> I don't. Ah, <laughs> that's what speaks to the rest of the series. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I learned some interesting things, like the about advances in DNA testing. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting in terms of like you know the police procedural side of it and like the the level of effort that goes into actually like cracking a case like this. That's quite interesting. That's about it, really. Okay, okay. Watch it if you want. <laughs> Watch it if you want. Watch it if you want. Oh, we should rename outside the box. <laughs> Watch it if you want. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I really enjoyed that last bit of chat, even though it was about <laughs> rape and murder case. Uh, but I'm very pleased I don't have to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry. I'm not going to edit it. I'm just going to put this out. Just put a top and tail on it and put it out. I'm definitely leaving this bit in. Anyway, uh, I just wanted to mention one other documentary, which is called 11 Minutes, America's Deadliest Mass Shooting, which I watched the first one of. It's about the... It's a four-part documentary on the beat, and it's about that shooting that happened at the Las Vegas Music Festival, in which just a, a barbaric amount of people died, and an even huger amount were injured. And it's, you know, first-hand accounts from the music fans that were there, paramedics, victims' families, the police, that sort of thing. I just wanted to say that I only watched one episode, but I saw in the Telegraph uh, someone had written a review saying that it didn't talk enough about the politics of guns in America. I think that there's a lot of conversations about the politics of guns in America, and there is room for a conversation about the human fucking tragedy of why you need a conversation about guns in America. If it's all the conversation is just about guns and we don't actually consider what's lost, I think that would be a mistake. So I thought it was actually pretty well done and pretty terrifying and so depressing. I probably won't watch the next three episodes of it, but yeah. Maybe you and Cass can watch them, Jen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so next time, White House Plumbers, which starts, I think, tomorrow maybe or maybe it even starts today why am i talking still and we'll be able to talk about yellow jackets finally because it's over so you can get your free month of paramount mickey and watch it all in one go i'm excited i shall endeavor to do that outside the box